the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What difference at this point does it make? Oh, shut up. If you've got health insurance, you can keep it. If you like your health care plan, you will keep your plan. If you've got health insurance, you like your doctor, you like your plan, you can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Welcome to another thrill-packed edition of Unite IE Radio. My name is Greg Britton with the Redlands Tea Party Patriots, and I'm joined by my co-host, Don Dix, the chapter leader of Act for America in Corona, a nationwide grassroots national security organization. You know, there are just so many issues we confront, whether it is the uh, illegal immigration, the open borders, the poorly performing economy, the reduction in the standard of living of Americans, the jihad abroad, the jihad here, and there's... There's there's so many things, and we we sort of almost it's almost like a um, a game of whack a mole. It is. There's lots of moles out there, and uh, we're going to whack a mole today, Greg. At least several of them. We've got a we we have a extra special opportunity to explore one of those topics: national security. It's going to be one of the big issues in the election. Already is, and the gentleman that we have on the line with us right now is probably the consummate insider's insider when it comes to national security and the threat of radical Islam. Uh, I'm speaking about Philip Haney, um, who was is a whistleblower with the department, what's called a whistleblower with the Department of Homeland Security. His background is actually f- really fascinating. He was a founding member of the Department of Homeland Security. So right when this department was created following the 9-11 terror attacks, This is one of the gentlemen that was brought in. He was brought in because of his background. He studied Arabic culture and language while working as a scientist in the Middle East before becoming a founding member uh, of the Department of Homeland Security in 2002 as a Customs and Border Protection uh, and Agricultural Officer. But that doesn't really even do it justice. Um, This guy really tapped into something while at the Department of Homeland Security. And he's written a book called See Something, Say Nothing. And I'm so excited to have him on the phone. Philip Haney, welcome to the Unite IE radio program. Well, thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here. Hello, everyone. Well, you know, is there anything about your your background and work experience that I left out that needs to be uh, shared with our audience here before we get into what exactly you did with the Department of Homeland Security? Well, not really. I was a field agricultural entomologist, and that's what gave me my passport into the Middle East. I worked with farmers and agricultural crops all over the Middle East and in other parts of the world as well. But I had a particular focus and interest in that part of the world and uh, worked for about 20 years before 9-11 in that capacity. So that probably gave you some really genuine insight into the culture as well. I mean, if you're working with business owners and, you know, the community, you probably got a really good handle on what's going on in that part of the world uh, versus, say, somebody that might be in an office. 
Well, I did. I saw the real genuine culture. You know, when you're in agricultural areas of any country, you see, you know, you're a grassroots, and you really get a picture what that country is really like at, at its most basic level. And since I was an agricultural entomologist, uh, I got to see a lot of places and countries around the world that maybe most tourists don't get to see, often so, at the guest of the government. So, yeah, I had a, a particularly unique insight. So we'll come to your how you transitioned into working on terrorism at the Department of Homeland Security, but pre-9-11, so you've been traveling in that region of the world. What was your impression of the culture and the Islamic religion and uh, how that the threat of anything that that posed to us? Well, the main thing that I saw is the uh, the basic importance of family, community, and also the pervasive influence of Sharia law, the Islamic form of law, what it exerts on the culture. Wherever I was in the Middle East, whenever I was in an Islamic country, those two things stood out. The centrality of the family structure, community tie, and also the overarching influence of uh, Islamic Sharia law in everything that they do from morning to night. What stands out about Sharia law that uh, people that are not indirect, that are not familiar with it, you'd want to tell them in, in the first 30 seconds or a minute of, here's what Sharia law is about? Well, Sharia law, by its own definition, uh, orders every single aspect of a person's life, from birth to death, marriage, divorce, family relations, business, things that are prohibited, things that are allowed, and all, and, and also including warfare itself and concepts that we've heard about a little bit in America, you know, jihad and uh, the pushing forward of uh, Islam across the world. That's all encompassed in the overall concept of Sharia law, which, by the way, is a book. It's not just an abstract concept. It is actually a code of law, and that's where it comes into conflict with the U.S. Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, or you might say state and local level civil law. Is Those are the points of conflict between Sharia and American way of life. It's in the law. Now, when you, when you went to work for the Department of Homeland Security, you transitioned into working on terrorism. Is that right? That's correct. Because of my background... Familiarity, familiarity with the language and a lot of the individuals that came onto the stage, you know, if after 9-11, I started doing intelligence briefings and sending them up the chain of command. And that got the attention of management right away. And uh, pretty soon I, was, I found myself being assigned to work in the advanced targeting unit. We call it ATU, where we did just that. We focused on potential individuals and organizations with potential ties to terrorism. And domestically, I segue, or in a, domestically or internationally both. or both? Well, you can't really separate them because most of these organizations, even the ones that operate here, are actually international in scope. They have branches here, yes, but they're not uniquely American. They are also part of a larger global network. We're going to we're going to take a break in a moment here, but I wanted to cap off on that conversation you were, we were having about Sharia law as someone that grew up in America and Western culture. And you're over in these uh, in these uh, communities. Were you struck with the 
the observation or the or the prospect of the reality that what you were observing in terms of a way of life that it was completely different and antithetical to the freedoms and the constitution and the way of life in western civilization yes i would say both in a western civilization context and also if you want to say a biblical because oh. the ideology of islam is remarkably different than any than a biblical worldview so whichever side of the fence you might be on either a secular political side or a biblical worldview the contradictions or the or the points of conflict are remarkably clear when you live in an unadulterated Islamic culture. You really see it up close and personal. We're speaking with Philip Haney. He's our guest for this hour on the Unite IE radio program. He's the author of the book, See Something, Say Nothing. He got thrust into the national spotlight literally after the December 2nd terror attack here in San Bernardino, uh, got interviewed on the Megyn Kelly show. We're going to talk about his work and how that relates to the current threat that we have. He's also going to be in the Inland Empire coming up here in September. We're going to give you those dates, times, and locations uh, further on in the program. So stay tuned with more with Philip Haney, former Department of Homeland Security, author of the book, See Something, Say Say Nothing, after a message from one of our sponsors. Ed Hoffman of Wholesale Capital Corporation. Ed is a great patriot and the place to go for your real estate lending needs, both residential and commercial. More with Philip Haney and See Something, Say Nothing after this message. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. We've been serving our community with personalized homeownership solutions for over 26 years with offices in Moreno Valley, Temecula, Corona, Downey, Westlake Village, and Covina to service all Southern California and Arizona. Today, we are experiencing excellent conditions in real estate and real estate financing. Interest rates are as low as they've ever been in our history, and real estate prices have come way up from the lows of 2010. If you've purchased a house in the last several years, there's a great chance that today your equity position is much better and available interest rates are much lower. Two factors that spell opportunity for you. If you want to find out what this means to you and you want to talk to a lender who will give you straightforward, honest direction towards an option that's best for you, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturdays at 9.30 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at 4 o'clock, right here on AM590, The Answer. AM590, The Answer. Welcome back to the United Inland Empire radio program. We have a very special and unique guest with us for this uh, segment of the program. You're going to want to stick with us to hear all that Philip Haney, who was a former employee with the Department of Homeland Security, wrote the book last year called See Something, Say Nothing. And Philip, in your work with the Department of Homeland Security, you developed a very unique uh, pathway for tracking potential Islamists. Tell us what led up, how, how that work developed. What was the, the sort of the line of the development of how you ended up beginning to track uh, individuals that showed high risk of becoming potential jihadists? Well, it was, I built databases, uh, kind of similar to the way I used to do it when I was a research scientist. I would just create a base, uh, literally a blank template, and I would start filling in the blanks with names, birth dates, places of birth, passport numbers, travel patterns, affiliations with other organizations, and over time, I call it let the picture draw itself. We would actually see the, ca- the case emerge right out of the fog, as at first you couldn't see it, 
But then as time went on, those dots would start connecting, and lo and behold, there would be the case right in front of us. So you were, of course, you, we heard, we've heard of the thing called connecting the dots. Sure. And that's exactly what we did. But you have to have dots enabled to connect them. You also have to have the will to, uh, to want to connect the dots. That's also true. And that's the biggest point of conflict between uh, subject matter experts like myself and this current administration is that they insist that there is no connection. Essentially, you, if you're talking about ants, there's no colony. These people are just wandering around aimlessly. Were your techniques effective in stopping any terrorist attacks or capturing any, uh, any terrorists? Well, I, res- I received a letter from the National Targeting Center giving me credit for finding 300 individuals with links to terrorism. And the one particular case related to the San Bernardino shootings, in the nine months that we worked on that case, which was called the Top League Jamaat Initiative, we had 1,200 law enforcement actions taken on that case in the first nine months. And which, by the way, was authorized by the uh, Attorney General Department of Homeland Security in August of 2011. So it was a good, solid case endorsed by the agency, and it led to 1,200 law enforcement actions and a commendation letter, which is in the book, by the way, in the back, for giving me credit for finding 300 individuals with links to terrorism. Were these were these people interdicted? Were they arrested, or were they just simply being tracked? The 1,200 were interdicted. the The database that was shut down, the case that was shut down, the 1,600 entries in that database, we were tracking them. Most of them were here in the United States, and uh, left alone and allowed to continue working on the case. It would have been inevitable that we would have either deported people or perhaps arrested them, or perhaps put them on the no-fly list so that they couldn't travel overseas. There's uh, quite a few different options, depending on the circumstances and the charges that we could have done. But it all became a moot point after the uh, Department of Homeland Security, Civil Rights and Civil Liberties Division, and Department of uh, State under Hillary Clinton shut the case down. Tell us about that. Well, this started in March of 2012. I was a participant in a, mo- in a meeting at the National Targeting Center in Washington, D.C., with seven lawyers from the Department of State and three SES officials. In other words, ten people from Department of State, plus representatives from the National Targeting Center and the Department of Homeland Security. And we specifically, I should say they, specifically discussed their concerns about our focus on Tablighi Jamaat, a global Muslim organization with between 75 and 125 million members around the world. And the Darulum schools and mosques, like the one in San Bernardino, are part of that Tablighi Jamaat network that we were working on. And, why were and you, that's the connection. And why were you tracking that network? Because they had known affiliations with individuals with what we call derogatory information which just means some form of tie to terrorism. So these 1,600 entries that you mentioned in the beginning of this segment, is each entry is a person? 
There are people and organizations. Okay. We always work with individuals and their related or affiliated organizations because they coexist together. They're not separate. So at the time of March 2012, in the meeting that you were just saying, you had in your possession and in your work uh, as a subject matter expert, you were tracking 1,600 individuals or organizations, part of this network of uh, radical radicalized individuals and groups, the Tabliki Jamaat group. And in March of 2012, you went into a meeting with representatives from, uh, I think you said the State Department? Mm-hmm. The Department of State. And, yes. and who else? And the Department of Homeland Security, Civil Rights and Civil Liberties. Okay. And uh, management from the National Targeting Center there in Washington. We're all part of the meeting. So you walk into a meeting with representatives from the State Department, the Department of Homeland Security, Civil Rights Division, and some uh, some management of the Targeting Division, and they say what to you? They said they had concerns about our, because I wasn't the only one on the case, but our focus was the word on top League Jamaat, because they had not been designated as a terrorist organization. So therefore, their concern were that we were violating the civil rights and civil liberties of the Muslim individuals that were affiliated with that organization, meaning Tablighi Jamaat. So this is like a, this is like the chicken and the egg. It's like, oh, it's not a chicken, and you're saying, but it's an egg. And you know, this is this is an organization that has all the characteristics of of an organization that potentially. Uh, the, the, of an org- of organizations like we've already designated as terrorist organizations, and it's only a matter of semantics at this time. It should be designated, but they were they did not have the political will to take that to the next step. Well, not only that, but they disregarded the twelve hundred law enforcement actions that we'd already taken. They also disregarded the commendation letter. I personally was given credit for finding three hundred terrorists. They also disregarded that there was a significant portion of individuals in Gitmo that were part of Tablighi Jamaat. And they also disregarded the history of Tablighi Jamaat in other countries around the world, i.e. affiliation with Taliban over there in Afghanistan and other Salafi jihadist groups that are operating in different parts of the world, like in Somalia or South Africa. They ignored all of it. Anybody who's listening to what you have just laid out here, that whose blood is not boiling right now at what happened, you, I, I, you got to be checked for a pulse. I can't believe. I mean, I'm outraged right now hearing what you're saying. I'm mad um, that that we that our government would would take actions that would it, that would deter. Uh, uh, the potential of keeping us safe. And and what you're saying is that this mosque in our backyard that two individuals were connected to killed 14 Americans, wounded dozens of others, and your work would have kept that from happening? Very plausibly, after all. That's Unbelievable. That's what the Department of Homeland Security is founded for, was what? To protect our country from threat of terrorism. Unbelievable. We're cops. We've got to take a break, Philip. We're going to get back with the rest of this story after a message from our sponsor for this half hour. Ed Hoffman of Wholesale Capital Corporation. Ed is a great patriot and the place to go for your real estate lending needs, residential and commercial. More with Philip Haney after this message. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. 
We've been serving our community with personalized homeownership solutions for over 26 years with offices in Reno Valley, Temecula, Corona, Downey, Westlake Village, and Covina to service all of Southern California and Arizona. Today, we are experiencing excellent conditions in real estate and real estate financing. Interest rates are as low as they've ever been in our history, and real estate prices have come way up from the lows of 2010. If you've purchased a house in the last several years, there's a great chance that today your equity position is much better and available interest rates are much lower, two factors that spell opportunity for you. If you want to find out what this means to you and you want to talk to a lender who will give you straightforward, honest direction towards an option that's best for you, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturdays at 9.30 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at 4 o'clock, right here on AM 590, The Answer. AM 590, The Answer. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. And we are pleased and honored to have a Department of Homeland Security whistleblower, Philip Haney, on the phone with us today. He's written a book called See Something, Say Nothing, about how his work at the Department of Homeland Security, tracking, effectively tracking, terrorists was shut down by Hillary Clinton's State Department and the politically correct Obama administration who were more interested in placating Muslim critics and care in some more organizations than at tracking terrorists and safeguarding Americans. And we were just at a, at a meeting you had had where the State Department had come in to try to shut down your tracking of a of a Islamist terrorist network called Tabuki Jamaat. And this was the first time that the State Department had ever had intervened in one of your cases. Is that correct? That's true. Well, not exactly. My work had been intervened in before, as early as 2009, but that was with the Muslim Brotherhood. As far as overt, obvious interference, that was the first time that individuals directly from the State Department actually came and sat down right in front of me and said that they had concerns about the case that I was working Ten on. Ten of them. Yeah, three law- seven lawyers and three SES, administration-level individuals, at the National Targeting Center in our upstairs briefing room with uh, several members of the National Targeting Center management there in attendance as well. And and after this meeting, how soon was it before the effort that you were engaged in to identify and track these individuals was shut down? Well, that was in March. I left the depart. I mean, the Targeting Center on June 8th of 2012. About a month after I got back, I started working on a component of the same Tablighi Jamaat case, having to do with the Islamic Institute of Education in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, after we finished the case up, there were 67 records in that case linking individuals and organizations to the Darulum network that we heard. That's this mosque in San Bernardino. 67 records. And about two weeks after we put that case into the system, I was I got a phone call from my supervisor, and he told me they've deleted your records completely out of the system. That was the 19th of September in 2012. So somewhere between two to three months, they had shut the case down. I didn't know they shut it down until we worked on that IIE case and found that uh, they deleted the records out of the system, and then they investigated me. 
they said I didn't have the authority to create those records to put that information into the system at all. And so I ended up getting in a lot of trouble because of that. Wow. Well, you know, there's so much more to this story. Can you stay with us for another segment? Mm-hmm. All right. Sure. Very good. Um, we're talking to Philip Haney. He's a former Department of Homeland Security uh, and turned whistleblower who wrote a book called See Something, Say Nothing. Philip is going to be here in Southern California as part of a larger tour and book tour that he's doing to tell his story. Two dates, September 24th, he's going to be in Corona. September 29th, he'll be in Redlands. And you can go to the UniteIE.com website for information about both of those uh appearances, how you can get uh, tickets, how you can get uh, attend the information you're going to need at the UniteIE.com website. We're going to have more with uh, our guest, Philip Haney, uh, after the break and a message from our sponsor. I'm going to stand up and say so. I've got so sick and tired of listening to what you got to say. I decided I just got to stand up and say so. Sick and tired. Welcome back to the United Inland Empire radio program. You know, if you've been listening to the first half hour, you are probably as worked up and enraged as I am about what the story that we're hearing from our special guest this half hour, Philip Haney. He was a former Department of Homeland Security, worked in what was called the National Targeting Center, literally a center he helped create based on his work. He was he was tracking individuals that were part of a large, a worldwide organization called the Dabliki Jamaat uh, Organization. This is an organization comprising 100 million individuals across the United across the world and he was tracking specific individuals as many as 1600 individuals and organizations that were potentially associated with with terrorism and jihad and the state department came in and shut down his uh work literally shut it down because of the concern of violating the civil rights of Islamic and Muslim organizations here in this country. And and internationally. And internationally. Philip, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Well, you know, once this was shut down and in your work, what what did you what did you do in the department? What was that like at at the Department of Homeland Security? You're still working there. They didn't fire you. What what was what was that like? Well, they didn't fire me, but I was under investigation. The last 11 months of my career, I was under three simultaneous investigations, one with the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General, one with the Customs and Border Protection Internal Affairs, and one with the Department of Justice Office of Integrity that convened a grand jury to find probable cause to indict me on criminal charges. What what possible criminal charges are we talking about? What? 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 Mis- misuse of a government computer by entering terrorist information. Essentially, yes. Misuse of a government computer. They took my gun. They cut off access to all the systems that I'd used my entire career. They revoked my secret clearance, although they said it wasn't an adverse action. And they sequestered me with no assigned job duties for the last eleven months of my career until. <laughs> 
fortunately, I was able to retire by age, meaning I was 62, and I retired July 31st, 2015, honorably. Otherwise, I probably would have still been languishing, waiting for the results of these investigations to be concluded, or who knows, some other new charge being brought, because they were bound and determined to discredit me one way or the other, and, because but, they have to pick Go ahead. And you, but you, up to this point, up to until the Hillary Clinton State Department intervened on behalf of the Tabuki Jamaat Network, you, you were you were praised. You got letters of commendation. You were part of the team. You were you were you were effectively carrying out the mission of connect of you know they always say connect the dots. That was your job. And that's what you were doing. And you got three hundred people arrested. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's very surreal because at the same time that I was being investigated, a total of nine times within a period of 10 years by my own agency or my own government, I was also given commendation letters, incredibly good ones, like finding 300 terrorists. In one particular case that I worked on, I received a commendation letter and was investigated at the same time for the same case. Unbelievable. This is You're absolutely right. unbelievable. Now, this was occurring about the same time. There's something that's talked about in the national security community called the Great Purge, where individuals within, uh, you know, various agencies and also outside consultants were removed, literally removed from being able to do the work that they were doing as it relates to training in the area of uh, jihad and and this this worldwide effort on the part of Islamists. Was this all a part of what? what we hear is called the the Great Purge? Yeah, the big, Great Purge start was in about the year 2011 to 2012, where offensive, quote-unquote, offensive or derogatory or inflammatory uh, training material that had anything critical of Islam was taken out of uh, any law enforcement branch. That would be FBI, the Department of State, Department of Homeland Security, even the even the Defense Department, any training material that would help us have insight to what the ideology of the global Islamic movement was, was purged out. And in virtually every case, the trainers, the ones that had been teaching these courses, right? Uh, they suffered the consequences. That the, the weight fell on them, and their careers were harmed because of it. They were either demoted, taken out, taken out of research or training uh, capacity, and across the board, there were a handful of, I say us, because I was one of them. And what the administration did was they, like a pyramid. They started at the top with the personnel that were called subject matter experts and eliminated each one of us one by one. So there were no people standing in the way of their policy. And over time, it led to what we see today a civil rights and civil liberties-based counterterrorism policy that is subjective, cannot be defined, has no basis in fact-based research or ideology of the global Islamic movement, and is called countering violent extremism. And the problem is it's based on tactics. It's not based on the strategy of the global Islamic movement. It's based on tactics, which change constantly, which is why they can never really explain exactly what it is they're trying to stop. They just call it violent countering, countering violent extremism without association with Islam at all. And that started in 2011. But that was not the first great purge. 
the first great purge, what happened with me in 2009, when the administration ordered me to remove the linking information out of 820 text records, T-E-C-S, in our system, all related to the Muslim Brotherhood. That's when the purge really began, was in 2009. It just got worse and worse year by year until it metastasized into the whole law enforcement community, and they started taking that training material out of other courses and other agencies. Did you try to bring your concerns to any any superiors in the agency or to Congress, saying, hey, wait a minute, they're shutting down the mission we're supposed to be doing? I sure did. I wrote memos, and I kept every one of them. I documented every single thing that I said. You have to remember, I was a scientist. I was accustomed to keeping track of information, and I documented every single thing that I said. I also went to Congress 50 times. 50? 50 times in a four-year period between March of 2012 when the State Department's visit that I told you about because I knew something was really wrong, and I began to share with Congress my concerns. Of course, I had already had the experience of having that information deleted out of the system in 2009, three years earlier, so I knew something was really going wrong. So I began visiting members of Congress. The very first one was Michelle Bachman, ah. and then that led to a sequence of other meetings with other congressmen like Louis Gohmert and Trent Franks, Frank Wolf, and other members of various Judiciary and Intelligence and Homeland Security Committees on both the Senate and the House side, 50 times. Did the, never did the, out of, I did not go out of chain of command. I did the Republican the Congress, was it, were they of any assistance to you, either in terms of restoring your mission or in protecting you from, from the retaliation you suffered for carrying out your job? The people with the gavel, the people that were chairman of the committees, did not stand up and support me the way they could have. Various members of Congress who were not chairmen were supportive, invaluably so, but they could never convene a hearing. The first hearing that was ever convened is the one with Ted Cruz and the Judiciary Senate Committee on the 28th of June, and that's when the first time I ever spoke in public was before the Senate Judiciary Committee on the 28th of June of this year. And I watched that. I watched your testimony there because I knew that you were going to be doing it. You were already on our radar screen out here. And not long after that, uh, Jay Johnson, who is the uh, uh, head of the the Department of Homeland Security, appeared. And what did he say about you? He said three things. The first one is that he didn't know me, that he wouldn't recognize Mr. Hannon if he walked into the same room. And... Ted Cruz asked him, well, have you investigated his claims? Have you taken the time to look into them? He said, no, I told you I don't know him, and I haven't taken the time to look into his claims. And then Mr. Cruz said, well, would you be concerned if they were true? And he said, paraphrasing, well, not really. It's an interesting political discussion, but it's a lot of semantics and labels. And then he went on to it onto a uh, tangent about cooperating with the Muslim community, etc. Well, I can tell you one thing, friend. The people that died in San Bernardino and Orlando and other places around the country are not just interesting political discussions or, or semantics or labels. 
the information this administration deleted was names, dates, birth dates, passport numbers, travel patterns, family members, links with organizations, not semantics and not labels. We're, we're, did, did you, in fact, know, do you know that Jay Johnson knows who you are? Yes, he appeared at, a, at an event in Detroit, Michigan in January of 2016 and publicly commented on an op-ed that I posted in The Hill, which I posted about a week after I appeared on Megyn Kelly, or around about the same time, I should say. I appeared on Megyn December 10th, and I think we posted the op-ed on The Hill right about the same period of time. And about two weeks, maybe a month or so later, Jay Johnson said in public, that he had read my op-ed. Unbel- he does know me. Unbelievable. These people will lie at, at whatever they, whatever is expedient at the moment. They will say, well, the, go ahead. The point is, is that this is the Senate Oversight Committee. Right. This isn't, if there's any such thing as an ordinary hearing, this certainly isn't one of them. It's a Senate Oversight Committee of the Department of Homeland Security. At the very least, he should have simply said, I... I agree with you. This is a serious matter. We'll look into it. But he didn't even have the professional uh, courtesy to say that. He just said, no, I haven't looked into it. And then 10 days ago, two weeks ago, he appeared at the Islamic Society of North America's 53rd Annual Conference. Right. The Islamic Society of North America is a known Muslim Brotherhood front group. Well, he pretty much proved his point. He certainly doesn't intend to look into my claims, otherwise he would never have gone and spoke at their meeting. No, he, he, he wouldn't. Have, he wouldn't have let your vital operation be shut down if he if if he was concerned about trying to track Islamic terrorists. Do you have Do you have any corroborate? I mean, do you have anything in your that that leads you to believe that there was this plot to shut down uh, this on the part of government officials? Well, the plot, if you want to use it, it was a cooperative relationship between Muslim Brotherhood front group leaders like Council on American-Islamic Relations, Islamic Society of North America, uh, Assembly of Muslim Jurists of America. These groups and individuals that are the leaders of these groups attended White House meetings at least 150 times during the Obama administration because I was tracking them. And I, I kept chronological uh, track of every single one of them. And so the policies that this administration follows are being influenced by members of the Muslim Brotherhood, not only domestically, but also in the foreign policy arena as well. They overtly support the Muslim Brotherhood in the foreign policy arena, and they support Muslim Brotherhood here in the United States. You, they will not designate them as a terrorist organization, for example. I, I, we, we can't thank you enough for joining us here on, on the show today. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're going to need to uh, call it a wrap-up for, for today. But you're going to be in the uh, Inland Empire on September 24th at the Act for America meeting in Corona. And you're going to be at the Redlands Town Hall meeting on September 29th in, in Redlands. And people, so the information on that is going to be on Unite ie.com the, the places and times for those meetings and your book again is uh, see something say nothing and that's available among other places it's available on Amazon and it's a great read we encourage people to uh, to do that and I, we, again, we can't thank you for being enough for being on our show and for everything you're doing for the cause of liberty in America by bringing this story to the public's attention 
Well, I thank you. I took a vow, and I take that vow very seriously. Even though I'm retired from federal service, my vow is still active duty, and I go now wherever my vow leads me. And that's how, what I intend to continue doing. That is awesome. You're, there is so much more to your story, and I can't encourage enough for the, our listeners to make it to one of these two events so that we, we've heard the, the, the circumstances of your story, but now at these meetings, people are going to actually learn the guts of what it was that you uncovered during your many years at the Department of Homeland Security. Philip, thank you again. Safe travels, and we look forward to seeing you out here on the 24th and the 29th. Time for a word from All-Star Collision, the place to take your car when you have an accident because they are truly the kings of rock and roll. Back after this. When you're on an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For over 20 years, All-Star Collision and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. They offer free pickup and delivery, free estimates, and they're approved by all major insurance companies. They repair aluminum and fiberglass bodies with computerized frame straightening to get your car or truck back to factory spec perfection. You'll have your vehicle back fast and in showroom condition, safety checked, washed and detailed, fluids topped off with a lifetime warranty on paint and repairs. So exercise your freedom of choice and call All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll, at 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. 951-279-9161. All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. AM590. The answer. This is Senator Mike Morrell asking you to tune in to Unite IE Radio every Saturday at 4 o'clock on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio. If you didn't hear it, uh, we had an amazing discussion up to this point in this program with Philip Haney, a Department of Homeland Security whistleblower, documenting how the Obama regime and Hillary Clinton has shut down his effective investigation. And his job was to build databases and connect the dots, that proverbial phrase, connect the dots to prevent more terrorist attacks, and they shut him down. Benjamin Franklin said, whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. You may have heard that the Obama administration plans to turn over control of the internet or some, an organization called ICANN, I-C-A-N-N, as of October 1. And this ties in because ICANN controls who gets www.something.com. The key to the internet, in essence, is the internet phone book. And up to this point, America created the internet, and America has controlled this. And as much as the government might like to shut down annoying websites like Breitbart or Pamela Geller's site or some more things that tells information they don't want told, they can't do it because of the First Amendment. Or or your own personal blog, because you have an interview with a guy like Philip Haney, and you tell his story on your personal blog, and you know that's something that the government right. or whoever it is that shut down Philip Haney's website or work doesn't want out there. Exactly. exactly. Now, and we see this on Facebook, which has its own private company and its own private system. Uh, so th- they engage routinely in censorship of things that they don't want told, particularly on behalf of anyone talking about Islam or immigration. So what's going to happen is once America gives up control of the Internet, it'll now be run by a consortium of, quote, stakeholders, unquote, 
that includes Russia, China, Iran, and the 57 states of the Islamic Organization of Islamic Cooperation. And this ties into what we were talking about before because one of OIC's primary goals is to suppress any criticism of Islam. And they got passed UN resolution with the help of Hillary Rodham Clinton, a resolution to outlaw any criticism of Islam. And once these peace people now control the internet, they can enforce that, even here in America. So if your website, your blog, is, do, is putting out anything that they don't like, criticism of Islam, for example, they can remove your URL. Or just shut down your content. They could do anything. Literally, they could shut down your content. They could uh, force you to remove uh, speech that's objectionable to Islam. This is a fascinating thing because I've been talking a lot over the last uh, three or four months around the Inland Empire at various different groups about Hillary Clinton's what I call mainstreaming the Muslim Brotherhood, literally her romance with this organization, starting as far back as being first lady when she brought in a, a guy by the name of Abdul Rahman Alamudi, who's currently serving a 25 year term in prison for financing Al Qaeda, as well as being involved with Muammar Gaddafi in a plot to assassinate the Saudi crown prince of uh, Saudi Arabia, who is now the king of Saudi Arabia. So even back when she was first lady, there was this romance with these shady characters that, you know, moving fast forward to her role in the State Department, she actually presided over, gave the inaugural speech for something called the Istanbul Process, which is an effort by the OIC, the Organization of the Islamic Cooperation. It's the 57 nations of the, it's the largest block within the UN. She presided over a meeting that was an effort to uh, follow through on something called Resolution 1618, which is the criminalizing of speech critical to Islam. She did that in June of 2011. In December of 2011, she convened a meeting, a closed-door three-day meeting in George Washington University, where she had members of the OIC, the State Department, and the Justice Department attorneys trying to contemplate how do we limit free speech. And then fast forward to September 11th, 2012, in Benghazi, when the when four Americans were killed, what did she blame it on? She blamed it on a video that was offensive to Islam. This lady is as corrupt and potentially dangerous to, to America as any operator within the Muslim Brotherhood. Absolutely. And it's, it's worse than being corrupt. If she was merely corrupt on the tape, lining her pocket... She wouldn't be as dangerous as this. And she said that, recognizing you can't legally shut down criticism of Islam, that you would use peer pressure and shaming yep. to try to enforce UN Resolution 1618 in America. And the only way that they're going to stop the Obama internet handover would be for the Republicans to insist, as part of the spending bill that must pass by the end of this month, is a law that would prevent Obama from doing so. And so far, there, Ted Cruz has picked this up and some other members, but there's scant little interest in protecting freedom of speech on the internet among the Republicans in Congress. Right. They're much more interested in avoiding any confrontation with Obama and heading out of town. Well, if Philip Haney went to these guys in, in, you know, during when he was an employee and said, this is what they're doing, and they did nothing, come on, what, 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 you think they're going to do anything now? I mean, th- these people are about as useless as it's on a bull. <laughs> Well, I'll let that visualize that one, and we'll hear from a message from uh, All-Star Collision, the place to take your car when you have an accident, because they are truly the kings of rock and roll. Back after this. When you're on an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need 
is All-Star. For over 20 years, All-Star Collision and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. They offer free pickup and delivery, free estimates, and they're approved by all major insurance companies. They repair aluminum and fiberglass bodies with computerized frame straightening to get your car or truck back to factory spec perfection. You'll have your vehicle back fast and in showroom condition, safety checked, washed and detailed, fluids topped off with a lifetime warranty on paint and repairs. So exercise your freedom of choice and call All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll, at 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. 951-279-9161. All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. AM590. The answer. Welcome back to the United Inland Empire Radio Program. What a program. This is a this is a podcast, folks, that you need to send out to as many people as possible. Uh, once this is listed on the uh, am590.com website, that podcast, share this with as many people as possible. People need to know that our government is colluding. And, you know... Hearing Phil, I mean, I've talked about this before at many Act for America meetings that we've done, but hearing Phil Haney just automat just created the glue that pulls it all together. And when you realize that his work would have saved 14 lives in San Bernardino and countless families, you know, misery, um, you're I mean, this is infuriating. This is absolutely our government. The primary purpose of the federal government is to keep us safe. And they are not doing it anymore. When they shut down the work of Philip Haney because they're afraid of offending a few people, excuse me, but the heck with them. Our lives are more important than somebody else's feelings. American lives matter. Yeah, they do indeed. So, so do not miss the the Philip Haney uh, tour that's coming up here in the Inland Empire. And it's going to be at uh, Act for America and Corona on September 24th and at Redlands Town Hall on September 29th. And uh, that Redlands will be at 6 o'clock at the American Legion Hall at um, on West 814 West Colton Avenue. The information on both meetings will be on UniteIE.com as well as on our Facebook page, Unite Inland Empire. Look for it on Facebook. We'll have that information there. We're out of time for this week, but you know this, this has been a great program with a lot of good information. And as always... The most important political office is that of the private citizen. Tune in next week at 4 o'clock. Thanks for listening. I'm gonna stand up and say so. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.